Hello listeners, welcome to Itihas, an Indic history podcast and you're listening to episode 42 of the season Vijayanagara and the first full-length episode of the year 2021. With this episode, we resume our exploration of the mighty Vijayanagara empire's rich history and legacy. Today, we will be embarking on yet another mini-series that will delve in depth into a very interesting chapter of both the Vijayanagara and Orissa histories. We will learn about the infamous Vijayanagara Gajapati seven-year war and the entire background behind it. The Vijayanagara Gajapati conflict is something I've always felt had received a shorten when it comes to the coverage in history books on Vijayanagara. Rarely do these books go in depth into it. It's always been very superficial and focusing solely on Vijayanagara perspective. But in this podcast, we will trace the entire arc of this interesting chapter that is full of drama, intrigue, action, that is fueled by a range of emotions like greed, jealousy, arrogance, thirst for glory and power. We shall look at the many powerful personalities of that era who played a crucial role in this conflict one way or the other. Starting from the fall of Sangama dynasty, rise of Saluwa dynasty, rise of Tuluwa dynasty, and with it, the rise of one of the most famous emperors of Indian history, none other than Sri Krishna Devaraya. And last but not least, the brave and dogged rulers of Orissa, who put up a valiant fight against Vijayanagara and also the neighboring Islamic powers. How and why did two Hindu emperors and contemporaries of their time end up on the opposite sides instead of joining forces against Islamic sultanate rivals could they both have together crushed the islamic sultanates if only they had allied at the right time instead of fighting each other we probably will never be able to answer the question but we certainly can explain how and why both these hindu emperors ended up on the opposite sides if you are interested to know the why and how of it then you're at the right place. Like never before on any Indian history podcast, we shall go in depth into this fascinating history of India. As part of my research for the series of episodes on this topic, I'll be primarily using Dr. M. Bosubabu's fantastic work, The Material Background to the Vijayanagara Empire, and as secondary sources, a wonderful piece of article on the Odia history, especially on the Vijayanagara Gajapati conflict. another book called history of orissa volume 1 by rd banerji and a research paper by dr manas kumar das on history of orissa without further delay let us start the story from what is now the state of orissa while we will not go too deep into the orissa history a little background is helpful in setting the stage for the story ahead the fall of the eastern ganga dynasty was followed by a sudden accession of power of the monarchs of Kalinga and Orissa which was unparalleled except perhaps in the time of Kharavela in the 2nd century BC the Ganga dynasty was followed by the establishment of the rule of another glorious dynasty known as the Suryavamshi Gajapatis the political chaos which had been prevailing in Orissa from the middle of the 14th century due to the weakness and ineffectiveness of the later gangas was ended 
by the emergence of a powerful military leader named Kapilendra Deva who overthrew the Gangas and founded a new dynasty called Surya Vamshi or the Solar Dynasty. For personal glorification, the rulers of this dynasty claimed the descent from the mythical Solar Dynasty to which Lord Ramachandra belonged. As they possessed large elephantry in their army, they were popularly known as Gajapatis, that is the lords of the elephants. And so that is how they came to be known as Suryavamshi Gajapatis. In the 15th and 16th centuries, Odisha or Orissa reached the zenith of its glory under the Suryavamshi kings. The Suryavamshi Gajapati kings were not only noted for their aggressive imperialism, but their rule for a century and also for the renaissance in Odia literature. The political history of the Suryavamshi Gajapatis starts with Kabilendra Deva, who ascended the throne in around 1434 or 1435 AD. Some historical records refer to him as an adopted son of Bhanudeva IV, the last Ganga king who was childless. On the other hand, the Ganga Vamsanu Charitram of Vasudeva Ratha describes that Kapilendra Deva usurped the throne of the Gangas when Bhanudeva IV was fighting in a distant place. Various inscriptions of Simhachalam support this fact, revealing that Bhanudeva IV was carrying a protracted struggle against the Reddis of Rajamendri in the distant south by that time. Had it not been so, Kapilendra Deva would not have crowned himself at Kritivasa Kataka, that is Bhuvaneshwar rather than at Katak, which was a citadel of Ganga power. Perhaps out of the fear of the Ganga dynasty vassals, he accomplished the coronation work at Bhuvaneshwar with great hastiness. Further, had he been adopted as a son of Bhanudeva IV, he would have eagerly described himself as a Ganga king in his own records. And also the records of his successors would have described him as a Ganga king. On the other hand, he himself, his sons and grandsons, all have been described as the members of the Surya Vamsha. The story of Kasiya Kapila, Kapila was a cowboy, a thief, etc. And his selection by the Ganga king, Matta Bhanudeva, by the will of Puri Jagannath, all had been designed to legitimize his claim to the throne. And hence, they are a bit far from historical facts. Just after his accession in 1435 AD, he found the throne of Orissa as full of problems. In the south, the Reddy rulers of Rajamendri were extending their frontiers further north. From the north, the country was threatened by the Sultan of Bengal. The distant Malwa also tried to take advantage of the revolution of local chiefs and feudatories to acknowledge the suzerainty of Kapilendra Deva. It Kapilendra was successful in stabilizing his rule after confronting both the internal and external pressures. Kapilendra Deva introduced something called Kapilabda, which is more like his own edicts after his ascension. The Lingaraja temple inscription was issued in the seventh year of Kapilendra Deva's rule. 
It states that by 1442 to 1443 AD the task of quelling the internal rebellions by Kapilendra Deva had been accomplished. After subjugating the unruly feudatory chiefs, Kapilendra Deva embarked upon the policy of propaganda which earned him a good name as a great hero of the Gajapati dynasty. Kapilendra while fighting against the combined army of the Reddys of Rajamandri and Vijayanagara empire received the news of the attack of Sultan Nasiruddin Abdul Muzaffar Muhammad Shah of Bengal he rushed immediately and inflicted a crushing defeat upon him extending the sway of Kapilendra Deva up to the river Ganges in an inscription dated 1447 AD Kapilendra assumed the title Gaudeswara so definitely by 1447 AD Bengal which is also known as Gauda was under the sway of Kapilendra Deva the southern enemies of Orissa reddies of Rajamandri and Devaraya to Vijayanagara kingdom to invaded his southern borders Kapilendra attacked and defeated them in numerous pitched battles now that listeners have some background of the Oriya history in the rise of Kapilendra Deva as a founder of the Gajapati dynasty let's switch gears and go back to the first vijayanagara dynasty the sangamas the territorial ambitions of the sangama line of vijayanagara emperors over the coastal plains of southern andhra desa by dislodging the reddies of kondavedu had proven to be a success initially but it was ultimately disastrous It made Vijayanagara rulers from Sangama dynasty wage relentless wars with the Gajapatis of Kalinga or Orissa while the kingdom had fallen prey to internal dissensions and wars of succession these disorders within Vijayanagara have to be accounted mainly for the diversion of attention of the emperor who was engaged in military campaigns in distant lands which naturally encouraged subordinate vassals or chieftains especially those that were close to the capital hampi to strengthen themselves the civil wars between rival contenders to throne were too frequent almost at the time of every succession and exposed signs of decline of the kingdom especially more so during the last phases of the sangama dynasty one of the revolts that took place was in the year 1421 CE when Devaraya I marched upon and suppressed the rebellion by subordinate chieftain of Telugu Choda origin called Ahobala who had risen up in arms against the Vijayanagara hegemony in the western part of the empire in Pushpagiri even though it could not affect the strength and stability of the kingdom at the time it nevertheless illustrates the nature of the medieval political order It is interesting to note that Devaraya I ruined the capital of the rebel chief during a military campaign and forced a large number of merchant families of the town to scatter over the country and migrate to foreign lands. When destruction was a trusted method of suppressing even the local chieftains at revolt, such activities as loot, plunder and destruction of standing crops on fields, burning down of villages and towns in defeated kingdoms, sometimes reported even in the epigraphical records, 
has to be understood as the war ethos permitted by the political customs of medieval times kings and emperors reportedly perpetrated such acts of vandalism frequently in those times and dr m bosubabu in his work says that these acts have to be brought to a single cultural standard irrespective of their religious affiliations while dr m bosubabu makes some valid points about these overall patterns it does feel though that he might be downplaying the role of religion and communal aspects by not making a clear cut distinction between the methods employed by islamic invaders and the hindu counterparts some astute listeners with a great memory might remember we had discussed this aspect in one of the foundation episodes the point being that while hindu kings destroying and pillaging each other cities or towns was true they rarely engaged in systematic iconoclasm or temple destruction whereas most of the islamic invaders and sultans regularly employed iconoclasm and temple destruction as their favorite weapon after a town or city was captured one famous example being the fall of the udaygiri fort to the vijayanagara forces after a pitched battle with the gajapati forces who were defenders of the fort while we will delve into this chapter of vijayanagara history in depth in later episodes the thing to note is how shri krishna devaraya took the sacred idol of the deity balakrishna from udaygiri fort back to vijayanagara capital of hampi there was no iconoclasm instead the idols were kidnapped and reconsecrated in hampi with great pomp for worship in more than the fall of the stronghold fort of udaygiri the real insult to the gajapati ruler was the loss of the sacred deities idol as it was supposed to protect it and ensure it was worshiped under his umbrella and this was one of the ways employed by hindu kings for delegitimizing the rival hindu kings or emperors after a loss in campaign and this is in stark contrast with the way the islamic invaders or the islamic rulers treated the temples or the deities idols during a campaign as one can see religious affiliations and ideologies played a very important role in how a city or town was treated after its fall obscuring this crucial detail in my opinion is tantamount to whitewashing history with an overtly secular brush for reasons or motives that can only be explained by the proponents of such theories it's important to clarify that i am not casting a doubt on the fantastic analysis and work of dr ambos babu it might be his own honest conclusion after analyzing the evidence at hand but one cannot give the same benefit of doubt to many other pop historians and so called indic experts at home or abroad who go to great lengths to whitewash india's blood soaked history of the last 1000 years and its tragic encounter with ideological savages from foreign lands now coming back to devaraya 1 after his death in 1422 ce after a rule of 16 years civil war broke out for succession between ramachandra probably an elder brother and vijayaraya son of the deceased king the former seems to have been set aside by devaraya 1 himself and he manages to seize the throne 
and ruled Vijayanagara Empire for six months. But interestingly, the inscriptions of Vijayaraya appear from 1422 to 1426 CE, which means Ramachandra was either overthrown in a palace coup or forced to abdicate in favor of Vijayaraya. Some scholars believed, on the basis of local records, that Ramachandra was one of the sons of Devaraya I, and that he co-ruled jointly with Vijayaraya. These scholars claim that Vijayaraya sets aside Ramachandra and claims the throne solely for himself. And this is where another very powerful and interesting character enters. This is who will later be known as the great Devaraya II. Supposedly, Devaraya II was the grandson of Devaraya I and son of Vijayaraya. And it was he who was the real power behind his father Vijayaraya and helped him not just administer the vast empire but also claim the throne for him after eliminating his uncle Ramachandra from the equation. Devaraya II, perhaps the greatest of the kings in the Sangamai dynasty, ruled for about 20 years from 1426 to 1446 CE, whose eventful reign witnessed expansion of the Vijayanagara kingdom and the cost of the neighboring powers. There was an anarchic condition in the kingdom of Kondavidu, which is modern-day Guntur district in Andhra Pradesh. Following the death of its ruler and the number of local chieftains started carving it up for themselves. They were either two sent armies on them in 1428 CE and up until 1432 CE, after which he overpowered them and with it pushed the northeastern boundary of Vijayanagara Empire up until the Krishna River. With that, he had completed the annexation of the whole of southern Andhra Desa into Vijayanagara Empire, successfully for the first time in the Vijayanagara history. And it was at this point, the extension of Vijayanagara Empire, making the Krishna River as her northern and northeastern boundary, brought her into close proximity to the Gajapati kingdom and exposed it to the direct attacks from the latter. And with it begins an intense rivalry between two of the mightiest Hindu powers of that era, which we will explore in depth as we go. In their conflict for mastery over the entire Telugu-speaking country along the east coast, the Gajapati and Bahamani kingdoms were frequently encroaching upon the southern and southwestern dominions of Vijayanagara across the Krishna River. And this forced Devaraya II to send military expeditions over the dominions of both the Gajapatis and Bahamanis, north across the river, instead of defending the besieged Vijayanagara dominions. Devaraya II was a very intense and dynamic character, who liked playing more on the offense instead of defense. As we know, the best defense is going on the offense. And in this case, his decision to make an offensive raid on the enemy provinces instead of reacting defensively by going to the rescue of his own besieged provinces, paid off by forestalling the invasions of both Gajapatis and Bahamanis into Vijayanagara territories. In 1428 CE, Devaraya II marched against Orissa king and proceeded as far north as Simhachalam, which is in modern-day Andhra Pradesh. As suggested by an inscription 
in the Varaha Narasimha temple there. Here, I have to take a little pause to mention how most modern history books on the Vijayanagara Empire tend to just focus on the big players or Battle of Tallikota, the destruction of Hampi and Sri Krishna Devaraya's rule. This is something as a history buff myself, I used to be annoyed about as I researched more and more about Vijayanagara history from many rich sources out there. There are so many more interesting events and stories from the empire's history that are rarely told patiently. There were many big and small players spread across not just the Indian subcontinent but also the Indian Ocean who cast their shadows on the fate of the empire through its life. One such example are the Velamas of Rajukonda and Musunuri Nayakas of modern-day Telangana. If listeners recollect, we had encountered the fascinating Musunuris from the Foundation series. Now let's come back to the story. The Velamas of Rajukonda, who were unfriendly to the rise of Vijayanagara from the beginning and allied against it with the Bahmani Sultans, changed their diplomatic relations in a revolutionary manner in the year 1425 CE. Hence they incurred the wrath of Bahmani Sultan Ahmad Shah as Farishta records in his chronicles. And the Sultan invaded Telangana in the same year and destroyed the northern provinces of the Hindu kingdom of Varangal that was being ruled by the Velamas. Having lost their political power and territories under their rule, the Velamas of Rajukonda seem to have resorted to predatory raids over the neighboring kingdoms, including the Vijayanagara territories of Kondavidu Rajya, Udaygiri Rajya, and as far south as Chennapatna, which is modern-day Chennai, and even raiding the wealth in Kanchipuram. Besides, a number of Velama chiefs began crossing the Krishna River into Vijayanagara provinces and clashed with the vassals of Vijayanagara Empire. This caused much annoyance to Devaraya II as they proved difficult to bring under control and hence he had to take up focused efforts to face the situation which ultimately led him to a war with Bahaminis who were backing the Velamas and encouraging them to wreak havoc in Vijayanagara provinces across Krishna River. We also hear of another interesting Telugu personality called Allada Reddy from the Andhra Desa region who seems to have played a crucial role in bringing peace through an alliance between the two most powerful Hindu kingdoms of the time the Gajapatis of Arissa and the Devaraya the two of Vijayanagara in spite of their intense rivalry. Understandably, Allada Reddy had his own clever agenda of bringing about this alliance between the two powerful rivals who loved to be at the throats of each other. The idea of Reddy was to use this alliance to effectively counter the Bahamani expansionism and his Velama rivals who rode on the Bahamani coattails. As you can see, the political tapestry of the 15th century Deccan in South India was anything but boring. It will make the famous HBO series Game of Thrones look like a children's cartoon. Unfortunately, Allada Reddy's well-laid plans were futile. 
the supposedly friendly alliance between the Gajapati and Vijayanagara kingdoms did not last long. The Bahmanis continued encroachments and Devaraya II had to take concrete steps to stop them. For which he ended up dissolving the Reddy kingdom at Rajamandri and annexed it to Vijayanagara. And with this, the Vijayanagara kingdom under Devaraya II extended its power and political influence beyond the Krishna river for the first time and opened a new chapter in its annals which continued for about a century thereon marked by a bitter conflict with the gajapatis the two rajyas udaygiri and kondavedu in the south coast of andhra desa became the principal arenas or theaters for their hotly contested battles and political developments in the period that followed devaraya the two was the last great personality among the kings of sangama dynasty that ruled vijayanagara empire he was an enterprising conqueror and diplomat but his glorious rule was followed by a period of confusion as several unworthy sangama descendants came to the throne who rebelled in luxuries and caring nothing for the strength and stability of the empire This period was especially critical for the Vijayanagara empire but the Bahmanis and the Suryavanshi Gajapatis determined to make inroads into Vijayanagara and eagerly waiting to strike a death blow when it was at the weakest I would be not doing justice to Devaraya the 2 if I didn't mention how his rule was a high point in the development of Kannada literature when the rivalry between the Vaishnava and Veerashaiva writers was very intense. The king himself was no less of a composer and writer. The romantic classics, Sobhagine Ek Sone, The Drizzle of Beauty, and Amaruka are few examples of his works. And then we have the chronicles of the foreign travellers like Niccolo Conti and Abdur Razak, who arrived in South India during Devaraya II's reign. In Conti Road, The king of Vijayanagar is more powerful than all the other kings in India. Razak wrote, The ear of intelligence had never been informed that there existed anything equal to Vijayanagar in the world. And the pupil of the eye has never seen a place like it. Unquote. And with this, we shall end this episode here and continue this fascinating story in the next. With many more questions interesting characters and dramatic situations in store i can promise the indian history lovers out there that the next bunch of episodes are going to be a real treat to your ears i sincerely hope the listeners enjoyed this content if you did please hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and a review wherever it is that you're listening a huge thank you for taking the time to listen to the show i hope to see you soon in the next episode Till then this is Narendra Vikram your host and narrator hope you have a great week ahead